We will be taking communion together in a few minutes. I'm going to be preaching from Luke chapter 22, which is where Jesus takes the Last Supper with his disciples. You can turn your Bible there. If you're at home on the live stream worshiping with your church family from a distance, I want to encourage you to find some bread or a cracker, some juice, and take communion with us. If you're here in the sanctuary, at the end of the sermon, we will take communion. We'll remember how much Jesus has loved us, that his body was broken for us, his blood poured out for us. But honestly, we will remind ourselves that we're not here just to be a religious organization or have rules. We're here for Jesus. We truly believe that we're the body of Christ connected to him. Now, there are a good number of us in the room, myself included, who will take communion today without a cup and without bread because we ran out. So here's what we're going to do about that. First of all, praise the Lord for a packed house on a Sunday morning. Second, those like myself who will be empty-handed regarding the symbols, we will fully engage Jesus with our church family. And so you and I will just uh, we'll walk through the motions with our brothers and sisters, but we will remember that it's not the cup, it's not the bread, it's the Savior that gave his life for us, we'll fully engage. All right, you ready for the sermon? Good. Let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 22. So Jesus is sitting at the table for the Last Supper, and he's surrounded by... Gosh, a bunch of people, right? He's, I mean, and I don't mean just, oh, the disciples. No, 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 stop and let's think about it. No, 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 Kenneth, it's better for me to be able to take it empty. All right, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, so we, uh, he's surrounded by his disciples, right? And this is what he says about them. One of you guys is going to raise your hand against me. He, right here at this table, right here at this table for communion, his betrayer sits ready to betray but he also looks at the other guys and he says, hey, gang, listen, and, and they're, all of you have stood with me in trials. But today's sermon is going to focus on Peter. Because Peter sitting at that table too, and Peter has stood with Jesus. And he's not Judas. He's, he's not about to turn Jesus into to the, to the Romans. But he is about to have a momentary lapse of faith, of courage. He is about to have a a momentary failure that's going to bring so much shame and guilt to him. It's going to crush him. So as we start the sermon, I just want to ask you, I mean, have you ever felt that? Have you ever, have you ever had a moment where a momentary failure, and maybe for you that moment was a long one, it was a year or two or ten, or maybe it was just a day, but have you ever been in a season where you knew you knew you disappointed Jesus. You let yourself down, and you just felt so much shame. Well, in a moment, as I invite you to the communion table with your church family, I want you to know that you are invited by Christ who knew that and loves you. And I just want to walk you through that. Let's read the text in Luke chapter 22. I want you to read with me. I'm going to start with... Verse 20. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, This blood is the new covenant of my blood. This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine at the table. That's Judas. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves, well, which of them it might be that would do this? 
A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Isn't this crazy? Like they have no idea what's going to unfold. Like they just had their feet washed by Jesus according to John chapter 13. And now they begin to mutter about who's going to be the greatest. And they're about to watch him on the cross tomorrow to become the servant of all. Look at verse 25. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, but those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules like the one who serves. For who's greater? The one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus is reversing what we think we know about status. He is the host of the banquet. And yet he washes our feet. Verse 28, you are those who have stood by me in trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred on me, one on me, so that you may eat and drink at the table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And now the focus is going to shift, and this is where our sermon will really settle today. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked To sift all of you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. And we know how the story unfolds. Soldiers come for Jesus, and Peter tries to stand for him, pulls out a sword, starts to swing, cuts off a man's ear. Jesus heals the ear, the disciples scatter, and Jesus goes into Jerusalem for mock trials in the middle of the night where he'll be beaten and disrespected, where false testimony will prevail, and the next morning he'll be crucified. You also know, probably, if you've been to church a little bit, that Peter wants to hang in there. He hangs in the shadows. He stays at a distance. He tries to stay close enough to Jesus that maybe he'll have another chance with the sword. I don't know. I'm not sure what he expects, but he stays close. He makes it all the way to the courtyard of the high priest, and Jesus is inside the house. And while he's out there trying to stay undercover, three people blow his cover. Three people say, wait a minute, aren't you one of his And you know that three times to protect his cover, Peter says, I don't even know the guy. I don't know what he's talking about. And then you know, famously, the rooster crows. And Peter has this surreal moment where all of his failure, his lack of courage, his unfaithfulness just settles on him in a moment. And he weeps. And he runs. And I just want to sort of unpack this moment for you. Luke gives us two snapshots that the other gospel writers don't include. And we're going to settle on those. First, I want you to turn your attention to verse 31. Just one simple verse. This is what Jesus said. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, 
but I have prayed for you some and that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. There are four things that I want to unpack from this very short verse. And the first one is really, really simple. Jesus said, I prayed for you. This is why I want to settle on this. Like, I know right now that you and I pray straight to the Father. We read that in my Sunday school class this morning just a few minutes ago. We pray directly to the Heavenly Father with Jesus as our intercessor, with the Holy Spirit as, as our God. We know that we pray straight to the Father. But how powerful is it that Jesus now sits at the right hand of God directly interceding for those he has saved? And how powerful was it 2,000 years ago that the night before Peter fell, Jesus was praying for him? Isn't it powerful? Like, wouldn't you love to think that Jesus prayed for you? Like, I don't know if you've ever been the person who's been prayed for. I, I know that probably you've been the person who was praying. Have you ever been the person who's been prayed for? This is what I mean. In church, all the time, we go through hard seasons. And we say, hey, y'all all pray for, and we, we tell you whoever it is that's having that crisis moment. And you say, I'll do it. And you start to pray, right? And you pray for that person. And you might not know how much it means until you're that person. But when you are, when you're the one with the miscarriage, when you're the one battling the depression, when you're the one losing a friend or a family member, when you're the one right there getting that cancer diagnosis, when you're the one that needs the prayers and people start to text you to say, my family prayed for you this morning, I prayed for you today, my Sunday school class prayed for you today, it's a whole different perspective, right? When you say, wow, they're praying for me? Well, what would it feel like for Jesus to pull you aside and look at you in the face and say, I just want you to know I prayed for you today. Like, I prayed extra for you today. The reality is that theologically, that's exactly what's happening for you. That as Jesus intercedes for the saints, as he sits at the right hand of the Father, he is praying for you today. How's that feel? And I need you to know that you and I have walked in Peter's footprints. We've had those lapses of courage and faithfulness. We have failed. We've, we have shamed Jesus. I have. You probably have. You've had moments where you didn't want to look in the mirror. I know. I know. I've been there. But I need you to know that before it happened, Jesus knew it would happen. And he still prayed for you and is, is still praying for you. The, the, the main point from this whole sermon today is going to be that when you blew it, it was not a surprise to Jesus. And you're still welcome at his table. Run to it like a sinner saved by grace. So the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus is praying for Peter, praying for you too. He's not surprised. The second thing they want you to see is what he's praying for. He tells Peter, I've prayed for you, what? Specifically, that your faith won't fail. This is not, Peter, whether you're going to blow it tomorrow because you're going to blow it tomorrow. You're going to see in just a minute, Jesus knows before the rooster crows, you will deny me. I know what's going to happen. So I'm not praying that you won't stump your toe. I'm not praying that you won't make a mistake. I'm praying that it won't cost you your faith. And that's what I'm praying for you. Like, stop and think about it for a minute. Guilt and shame from past mistakes can cause you to forfeit your faith and run from the family of God. And I'm begging you not to. Like, it, this is easy as believers. When we are Peter, when we feel the overwhelming heat of our shame, when we feel drowned in our guilt, when we feel embarrassed by our behavior, you are welcome in Christ. 
Like we know what to do. Repent, confess your sins, and come back, prodigal. Like run back. Don't waste a minute. It gets worse the longer you wait. And so when Jesus looks at Peter, he says, I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And that's what I'm asking for you. So if you're, if you're here in the middle of one of those seasons and you're having to talk yourself into coming to church, you're having to coach yourself into staying in your Christian community, you're, you're wanting to duck, you want to hide, you want to run. Man, I, I want you to hear that Jesus is praying that your faith won't fail. Like your, your blunder, okay, fine, it is what it is, it happened. But that it will not cost you your faith. Don't run from Jesus. He is the fountain of living waters. Man, he's the bread of life. Like, where else would you go? He has the words of eternal life. He can fix what you broke. But don't let your faith fail. Maybe that's what today is about for you. Is that this will be the day that you make that crucial decision that in the middle of failure, you're not going to forfeit your faith. Today is the day that you're going to say, Jesus, fix this. Here I come. Third thing from this one little verse. I pray that your faith will not fail. But look what he said. When you have turned back. I'm not Jesus. I don't know your future. I think it would be powerful to have the perspective of Christ, to know what you're going to do, what you're not going to do. But what Peter is hearing from the mouth of Jesus in this moment is that I'm praying for you that your faith won't fail. And if I'm Peter, I'm going, you're right, it won't fail. I'm never going to let you down, right? And then what do you think when Jesus looks at you and says, oh, yeah, and when you come back, and I'm Peter going, what you talking about? I'm, me come back? I'm never leaving, brother. And that's the whole rooster's going to crow thing. But Jesus looks at Peter and he knows 100% what's about to happen. I know that you're going to run. I know that you're going to tell three people you don't even know who I am. And I know how you're going to feel when you do it. And what I'm telling you right now, face to face, is that when you turn back, when you're ready to come back, I've got a job for you to do. And so this win is capital, but I wonder for you how big it is. Like for Peter, it's not that big. You're going to see in just a moment that Peter came back to Christ and came quickly. Like next Sunday morning, as we celebrate the resurrection, Jesus is right in the middle of that story, and here comes Peter being restored. Great. But how big is it for you? Like, how long is this when you return? Like, has it become an until you return? Like, how long are you going to stay in this moment where guilt and shame from what you did or what you didn't do? How long are you going to let those paralyze you? Like, how long will you let that little season away from the church continue to define you? Are you ready to lay that down and drop it right now? Do you remember the day that you got saved? And you gave Jesus all your mistakes, all your sins, all your failings, all your weakness. You remember that day when you came to Christ and you just laid it all down? You took up your cross, you died to yourself and gave Jesus everything that you were. You weren't surprised or ashamed that he took it? It's the same today. Keep the habit. 
Like come to Jesus even with your brand new failures, the ones that bring you shame and guilt, and give them to him. Because when you return, he's got a job to do. But why are you going to waste all these years on that win? Let's don't make the win later than it has to be. Like for you, why don't we make it today? Let's just do that. Let today be the day when you come back. You with me? The last thing in this, man, this remarkable passage with Jesus. He says, when you come back, strengthen your brothers. Wait a minute. The day after my failure, I'm probably telling myself that God can never use me again. Why would he use me again? I mean, I'm standing there looking at a servant girl telling her I don't know Jesus. How could he ever do anything with me again? And yet before it happens, Jesus knows Peter needs to hear it and says, when you come back, strengthen your brothers. You, you mean I, you would let me? You mean you would still use me? Yes. And listen, if you read the book of Acts, same author, Luke wrote Acts, you see that Peter did strengthen the brothers. Like on the redemption that Jesus extends to Peter in this moment of failure and guilt and shame, oh man, he comes back better than ever and leads the church. Like Peter is so powerful in Acts. I'm so proud. I want to clap for him. I want to cheer for him. I want to give him ribbons and medals. But no more than in this moment when I know how low he's going to go and how bad he's going to feel and how hard it's going to be for him to remember these words. Peter, I prayed for you that your faith won't fail. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Peter still can't hear it. I'm never going to leave you. I'm telling you, buddy, before the rooster crows. Okay, so have you been here? Have you had this season, this shame, this guilt? You know, it turns out that Luke is the only one that tells us another tidbit from this moment. I want you to turn your Bibles forward. While Peter is in verse 54 and 55 and 56, while Peter is denying Jesus to everybody who asks him, I want you to see what happens in verse 59. About an hour later, another one asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him. He's a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking... The rooster crowed, and here's what only Luke tells you. The Lord, Jesus, turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly. I imagine Jesus in Caiaphas' house and Peter maybe overhearing a few things, maybe overhearing, maybe overhearing Jesus being slapped in the face or being mocked. I imagine Peter's blood boiling, and I cannot imagine the change when that last time he forgets about what's happening inside the house for a moment. He can't see through the window for just a second because he's looking at this guy saying, I'm telling you, I don't even know what you're talking about. And then when he hears, he looks up, forgetting about what was happening in the window. And when he looks, he's eye to eye with his Lord and Savior. And Jesus knew the whole time it was going to happen. And even while Jesus had his own problems, while he was being mocked and beaten, 
He knows where Peter is and what's going on. And I don't think that look was so much, I told you so, sucker. I think that look was, when you return, strengthen the brothers. And what I want you to know is that Jesus knew what we would do. He knew he was redeeming sinners to start with. He knew we weren't perfect. He, he knew about our hypocrisy. He knew about our struggles. He knew about our failures. It was never a surprise to him. He knew that when he called you. He knew that when he chose you. He knew that when he saved you. And now he's asking you, are you ready are you ready to go strengthen the sisters and brothers again? Like if you're one of those people paralyzed in that when, why don't you come back now? Luke tells you in Luke 24 that two brothers on the road to Emmaus were walking and they walked to the resurrected Jesus and they, they met Christ and they ran back to tell the disciples and the disciples were already saying, he's appeared to Simon. In Luke's gospel, the resurrection account, when the women say he's gone, Luke specifically says, and Peter runs to the tomb. That's all it says. Peter was desperately waiting for that redemption. In the back of his head, he could hear, when you come back. And when Christ came back from the tomb, Peter did come back. And that's, that's where we are today. I'm asking you, as I invite you to the Lord's table for communion, would you just be 100% aware that you're not here because you deserve it or earn it or are good enough? None of us are. Drop the pressure. Jesus called you because he loved you and he is good enough. I want to invite Bill and Clayton to join me on the platform. And I want to invite you, church family, to take a moment. As you reflect on this sermon and prepare to obey Jesus and whatever he's telling you today, I want you to hear me tell you. You are redeemed in Christ. And if you're that believer that has fallen and you feel so much guilt and paralyzing shame, I'm asking you today can be the day that you come home. I'm going to get Clayton in just a minute to read over. I'm going to get Bill in just a moment to share some good news with us. But as you wait for just a moment, I just want to give you a minute. Just clear your heart, clear your mind and pray and Miss Becky will play over us, and I just want to ask you, right where you sit, you just close your eyes, and would you just let go of all those things that bring guilt and shame, and would you come back and be grateful for the Christ who healed you, who died on the cross, knowing who we were?
Friends, you are clean, redeemed, if you are in Christ Jesus. And I want you to feel that and be aware of that today on Palm Sunday as we take communion. Clayton Cooley and Bill Wedgworth are two of our deacons that pray for, love, and serve our church family. And today they're going to serve you by helping us administer communion. Clayton's going to read from 1 Corinthians some opening words. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Paul's words from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And as we eat together, we eat as a church redeemed, blessed by Jesus. And I hope you will search your own heart, not to see if there's no stains or blemishes on it. We've all brought plenty but rather that you haven't brought your own self-righteousness, that today you kneel at the cross of Christ and you ask him for the redemption and cleansing. You give him thanks for saving you. You give him thanks for what he's done. And that you and I remember his commitment to us and ours to him. Bill Wedgworth has got some good news, and so he wants to help us celebrate as a church family. We're always, it's always a joy when we come together as a family to take the Lord's Supper here. And today we're excited because we're going to have some new people joining us at the table uh, to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And these are those that have been, um, have joined our church family and have been baptized since our last communion together. So we want to say welcome to the family, uh, to the following. So we want to say welcome to Bree Bonner, Bryn Bonner, Daniel Clark, Shepard Ezel, and we want to say welcome to Abby Foley and Ava Foley. And welcome to Desmond Raymond, to Cannon Skipper, to Clay Smith, to Jay Steinbach, and to Savannah. So welcome to the family. Ask you, would you remove the uh, lid from your elements and take the bread? This bread represents the body of Christ as he lived among us, as his body was broken for us. Clayton will read from the scripture. And then we will take the bread together, remembering that Jesus is the reason you and I are here. Let me see it, Clayton. Testing. There we go. For <clears throat> First Corinthians 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when... He had given, given thanks. He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. If you will, remove the seal from the juice in your cup. The cup represents the blood of Christ shed on the cross to create a new covenant. In the same way... Also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Church, let's drink together.
we share equally in the redemption of Jesus in his work. Bill Clayton, thank you. I want to invite Chris to join me on the platform. And for today's invitation, very simple and very clear. If God's called you to salvation and you haven't responded, would you respond right now? Would you come forward and give your life to Christ? And if you are, like Peter was, in the middle of a moment that's characterized by guilt and shame, would you have faith to believe that Christ has redeemed you? Would you give that to him and understand that you are loved? Church family, let's stand as we respond to the Lord.